you know, Stalin and the Nazis were these welfare state types. Uh, One of us is a stand-up comic. Can you tell who it is, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Peckerwood Brick. Um. <laughs> but the problem. <laughs> Oh my god, that's like, I could use that to teach the whole arc. Do we have any kind of archaeological evidence, any kind of, any kind of other corroborating evidence? a geek history of time where we connect nerdery to the real world my name is ed blaylock i'm a world history teacher and uh, sometimes english teacher here in northern california and uh, in terms of what's happening with me this week um, i have actually started to figure out why it is that people turn tiktok into a second job or a hobby um, I, I, I have actually managed to get, uh, I've broken a hundred likes and, uh, two thirds of those came from one video that I, that I posted the other night after my second beer, um, which is the only way I'd ever actually wind up getting started posting anything on TikTok. And, uh, yeah. And, and Damien got to get on my back about, you know, you might want to mention that there's a podcast where you talk about this stuff in a lot more detail, and so at the end of my rant, uh, I, I did add another video to, to pitch our, our efforts here. So yeah, I, I can't guarantee, like, I'm not going to go out and buy a ring light tomorrow or anything, but uh, I kind of see why it is that people spend time on that hellscape of an app actually creating content now. So that's me. Who are you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin and drama teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, as far as what's going on, I have found that my son has a penchant for finding the weirdest ass kind of flower that one could ask for. I have had to buy in three weeks buckwheat flower, spirulina flower, some other kind of flower I don't know of. Um, and tapioca and like, flower? No, actually, we haven't had that yet. Coconut flower. Give him ideas and he'll get there. But uh, this week we're making Szechuan pasta. Ooh, and so like, rice flour? Uh, oddly enough, no. What? I know. I his recipe, oh, okay. not mine. All right, but uh, it's actually Carnage's Szechuan powder. Uh, because Szechuan, uh, Szechuan uh, pasta. Okay. Right. Um, and and he's like, he he called me today, and he's like, "Did you get the activated charcoal, Dad?" And I'm like, "No, I couldn't find activated charcoal at our local store, so we're gonna burn some toast and scrape that shit in there." So, but I'm excited because he's excited. And that's that's fair. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm I'm stoked. All right. Uh, yeah. So that's, that sounds that's, awesome. That's me. Um, and we have a guest. Oh, we do. Yeah. That's why our screens yeah. are slightly shrunk. Yeah. Uh, so we have with us a returning friend of the show, uh, Tim Watts, who was there for us for the first time that we did the V for Vendetta. We had so much fun. We did it again. And then I wanted to have him back because he's got something that he is very, very excited about. And I wanted to have him on to explain it. So, uh, Mr. Tim Watts, welcome to the show. Meet Ed Blaylock. 
Uh, there you Hi. go. There, How you doing? There, Hello. Thank pleasures. you for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, the audience may or may not have gotten that far back. Right. And, and also, I, I, like that that, I like that you say that it was so much fun to have me talk about V that you wanted to do again, not that I sucked and you had to fix what I did. <laughs> no, if that oh, were the case, oh, wouldn't no. have released those. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I feel much better about myself. <laughs> yeah. No, no. no, it was good because you came at it from a different perspective than Ed came at it. You different. Profession. Yeah. And, and, and it was largely because there were a couple of places where I was literally shouting at my, at my phone while I was listening to that episode, like, because there were things I needed to get off my chest and, and, and un, unlabor myself of. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, I, I, I was much more shouty. Yeah, I got you. Be, being primarily an artist, I, I definitely did come out of it at it from a, a different angle than than you know historians would. So I can understand yeah. that. Yeah, yeah no, appreciated and, angle. Too. Yeah, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it because it was it was like Damien is saying, it was it was a perspective I I would never have thought of on my own. So it was awesome. Cool. No, it was a lot of fun. I'm I'm yeah. glad to be back and. And yeah, so um, the reason I'm here is because I recently uh, expanded from uh, being primarily an artist and became a multi-hyphenate and added writing to uh, my endeavors. And I completed a graphic novel and I'm going to be doing a Kickstarter um, starting March 1st to support it. So I thought I would hang out with you guys and talk about it a little bit. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. So you are a an artist so i assume can we say graphic novelist uh graphic novel artist how do we uh, sure in my I mind, mean, you're a comic book artist and a comic book writer well it, you know comic book writer is fine i don't okay. i don't look at that as a, a negative you know i mean there's okay. connotations within the nerd community or outside of it and you know sure that's i think uh, largely there's just cred for it really like, yeah yeah i mean like, oh he did that right right yeah. Cool. so yeah, yeah so writer artist i guess is uh, cool. now my my title where for previously it was just artist and and just to be clear on on this book i did part of the art um i did the inking um mm -hmm. you know for those in the audience probably know that the difference between a pencil and an inker in comics most of the time uh, but i learned it from uh from having watched chasing amy so mostly you're just tracing i just trace it yes right. that's exactly <laughs> right yeah yeah it's my mom is low tracer, skill. so yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I did no, I did do uh, the inking. I wanted to keep my my hand in the uh, art part of it. Although I originally was going to try to do the uh, the whole thing myself, but I realized two things: uh, one, I wasn't fast enough, and two, I wasn't good enough. So I I I loved the story enough that I wanted it to be better than I could do. Mm -hmm. So I decided to reach out and find someone else to help me with that. So through the wonders of the internet, I found an amazing penciler in Italy. Wow, and very cool. She, and she did a phenomenal job. Uh, yeah. Her name is Alessandra Imperio. And I am regularly grateful to have found her because she did a phenomenal work on the book. Oh, that's terrific. Very cool. I got to say, your motivation for getting out of your own your work's own way is very similar to why I stopped um, trying out for the Olympic hurdle team. Um, so. very proud yes very proud of you. yes yeah so. yeah admirable I know, I know it was a sacrifice on your part it, it yeah. was it was yeah. i had a dream but i realized i was not fast enough or good enough to be on that team so <laughs> exactly <laughs> 
so okay so uh you learned the opposite lesson from Stuart smalley and i applaud you for being able to take that to heart uh so <laughs> that's, well that's... but gosh darn it people do like him well yes i mean come on yeah absolutely uh he's just not good enough or fast enough <laughs> fair fair enough yeah yeah <laughs> I do, but I do really like that you cared enough about this project that you you wanted to get the best hands into it that you could, and you had the humility to recognize that that ain't you. And I guess more importantly, you kind of had the love of the project to to oh, bring in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because um, the the more I worked on the story and pictured it in my mind, you know, when I tried to execute it myself, I realized it was nowhere near what I wanted it to be. And it's exactly what you said. I had a, enough of a love of the story to know that I needed to, you know, let my ego get out of the way and find a way to make the final product the best it could be, regardless of what my role was. Mm -hmm. I'm that way with puns. Usually, you know, I, I, if, if, yeah, as it turns out, uh, the only time I ever deliver a pun is because I know I'm the best candidate for that pun. Uh, that it would not work without me. But if I find that it's a pun that would work without me, I tend to set someone else up for it. So I, I feel you. I feel you. Okay. I'm, I'm not even, face. I'm just not going to remark. It's not, it's not worthy. I'm not going to rise to the bait on that. Well, it was a thoroughly so, unremarkable so we've, comment. So yeah, and so so we've we've spoken about your your love for the project, but we we haven't shared with the audience the title of your project yet yes. and we're 17 minutes in so like <laughs> yeah the title of the book is the republic it is a post-apocalyptic story uh because uh that is a, a genre that i have a, a deep uh, affection and uh, experience with um and also just a, a little twist for anybody in the northern california area i chose to set the uh, events of my book here in sacramento so you'll see iconic, you know, buildings such as, you know, the Capitol in Sacramento and a few other structures. So it's not, uh, it's not obvious. Um, you know, I'm sure that some people that look and see this Capitol building go, oh, it's Washington, D.C. And we'll get confused by the rest of the geography. But I decided, yeah. you know, this is a town I know. So I thought it'd be fun to set it here. Yeah, uh, well, and, and and the advice always is, right, what you know. So that's, you know, a good, or a where good you way know. to do it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I I noticed there were some because I, I got an advanced copy. Going to brag here. This is what happens when you're on a sixth rate podcast. You get advanced copies. Uh, but uh, but I got an advanced copy and uh, there was one uh, one. What's it called when the image goes across two two? They call page, it a two page spread, a two page spread. OK, I was going to say splash and I don't know where I got that from. Um, but uh, that was the term page. A splash page is one panel takes up the entire page. Oh, okay. okay. Often in conventional comics, the first page of, not always, but a lot of times, you know, often, in the yeah. 80s, you know, the very first page is just one single image taking up the entire page. That's a splash page. Okay. Cool. okay. But when it goes right, across cool. two different pages, it's called a spread because it spreads across the middle of the book. There you go. So cool. there's a two-page spread, uh, and I'm not going to give too much away, but I it, it was a overhead shot, and I was like, that place looks familiar. Like I, I know how that river goes. Like right. wait a minute, 
Yes. Uh, so that was that was cool because you know I've I've taken my kids there a number of times and there's yes and thankfully for my Italian artist uh, there is a thing called Google Earth so she was <laughs> able to spend a lot of time wandering the streets of Sacramento to figure out where to place things and and get her orientation right so yeah it made things uh, actually surprisingly easy yeah I bet that so so just logistically speaking of you know technology making things easier. Um, something occurs to me since you were, you, you kept your hand in by doing the inking, mm-hmm. did, uh, she send you digital documents that you printed out and did the inking on, or did you digitally ink or did she actually send you physical paper pencil drawings and, and you inked on those? The entire project was done digitally. Oh, very there, cool. there, there okay. is no, there is no paper art for this book at all. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. She, yeah. She drew on a tablet in Italy. We, you know, put the files in Dropbox. I retrieved them. I would ink them. And then I would send them on to the colorist who would do his portion of the work. Cause I also found a, a wonderful gentleman named Michael Woods in Texas who did the coloring for the book. And then beyond that, the pages would go on to another gentleman who did the lettering, uh, you know, so it was a, uh, uh, wow quite a production, but yeah, it was hundred percent digital. There, there is no physical art for this book that exists. Wow. Which it made it very easy, but as an old school comic book guy, it kind of is, it, it hurts my heart a little bit. That there's <laughs> not original art because I like original art. And I, I was going to ask about that. Like, yeah. how, how does that feel? Like you've made this magnum opus. Right. And it, and it has no, no sketch pad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no there's no physical art to it. I mean, there are saved files of preliminary sketches and things like that. But yeah, you're right. There's not an art board that has paper, you know, has pencil and ink on it. And, right. and that's different for me, because that's not what I grew up with. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's it's funny speaking as a as a, you know, small age historian. You know, I, I find it fascinating the 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 kind of the overarching historiography that's involved in the fact that like this project does not have a physical object other than the finished product. Well, yeah, other than, yeah. But, but I mean, in in terms of the the creation of it, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, one of the issues that, that I I try to bring up to my students is, you know, um, there, there are going to have to be people who figure out how to archive the files that we now have electronically as technology marches on. Because there, there, there's so much data out there right now that, that it's important historically that there is no physical, you know, object connected right. to. And, yeah. and, and, as, and as somebody who, like you, is I, I really, I, I, I have never managed to fully adopt a Kindle or, or Nook, you know, because I, I just I like having the pages in my hand, you know, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the, the kinesthetics of an actual book. Or something that that I I am attached to. Yeah, there's a sensory uh, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and so yeah, I, I I think I think it's it's on on the one hand, you know, hearing you say that brings all of those things up, but at the same time, that's just so fucking cyberpunk. It hurts. <laughs> it is like yeah, but but I'll tell you, you know, it was so incredibly convenient. Rather than you know her packing up 118 pages of art. You know, oh, yeah. shipping it halfway across the planet to me, whereas she could, you know, finish drawing something and I could have it in 10 minutes. That, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, no, 
Go ahead. When, when we, yeah, when we, when we sacrifice something, uh, we hopefully gain a lot for that. And clearly you did. Um, I would also kind of just piggyback on what Ed's saying though, as an historian, uh, medium age historian. Uh, so don't, don't have the, uh, the extra letters, but, uh, but, uh, in terms of like, I'm always worried about having everything just be digital because that predicates everything's existence on the continuance of electricity. Absolutely. And that there's a part of me that worries about that. Like I still mail my bills out. Well, I haven't done that in 20 years. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I do. I still, yeah. there's, there's four bills that I always still mail out. How, now, how I, is it? How yeah. is it that I'm the Catholic, but you're the Luddite that way? <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> because, because probably, probably because I, I uh, find great sympathy with Mennonites. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Although I would argue that mailing <laughs> mailing it physically, you mm-hmm. you risk other things happening with it as opposed mm-hmm. to digital. You know, digitally you get immediate confirmation that it was received as a problem. You address it. Yep. No. Yeah. You, you know, are not And wrong. if electricity goes away, you might have a situation similar to my book, The Republic. Oh, where I didn't see them pulling out any back tablets around. in that damn thing nice. either. So you know, well, you didn't see what? I didn't see them pulling out any tablets or anything. Nope, they did not. Yeah, so, a book or two. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, I do love that you are you are going to print a eventually a, a physical copy of this, like you said, the, the finished product. Yes, and so I, I that. Oh, oh my God! I'm oh, jealous. pretty, right, so pretty. Right. Yes, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be going out vis, uh, audio only or visual, but for the people who are just doing the audio, I did mm-hmm. print up some sample copies of the book, so there is a physical edition of it and one of the reasons was that when i did the kickstarter mm-hmm. i wanted to be able to show people that it was done because mm-hmm. doing my research on kickstarter projects specifically comics right there were a lot of comics where people would do the beginning of a project mm-hmm. they'll do a kickstarter campaign to get the funds to actually complete it and often you would fund something and it would be six months nine months 12 months before you got the product right yeah so i wanted to remove that um, hurdle from people committing to the project and so show them no it's actually done so when the kickstarter is over if we're successful I'll, <clears throat> all i have to do is tell the printer the, the quantity to print and then That's people cool. get their books relatively quickly and that was important to me because i know that you know i don't have name recognition like some other creators that are on the kickstarter platform so sure. i wanted to remove as many obstacles to getting people to back the project as possible smart I, I very much appreciate that as somebody who uh, got in on the ground floor of the Return to Dark Tower Kickstarter, <laughs> which um, I, I don't I don't know if you're in in the know. On, I know on the of it, but of I don't know the whole story. No. Yeah, no, I I, I signed up for it back in I want to say 2019, thinking I was going to get my game in 2020, and I just got it. Wow. Uh, well, you know, and and there were there there were a whole raft of legitimate reasons. You know, uh, first and foremost being you know a global pandemic. Yeah. You know, uh, but but it was it was kind of frustrating to watch because I, I I you know bought it as a birthday present to myself and I watched that birthday go by, and then the following birthday go by. And I, can can I just can I please? have my game and it finally arrived so i I very much appreciate having having the end product you know prepared 
beforehand. And and the other thing is there's there's you know um, I don't want to say a long history, but there there have been any number of instances where you know projects get funded and then they turn into vaporware. Mm-hmm. Very true. You Legit- know, legitimately or not legitimately, but yeah, it, it does happen for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm still awaiting my dragon egg uh, candles that have a D20 at the center. Oh yeah. That's I had four years going now. about yeah four years wow yeah, it, it's yeah. not gonna happen like I yeah like, no okay that's at this point seventy five dollars no, I lost that's money yeah. gone okay. uh, but another another very notable example is uh, uh, Kevin Cambieta and Palladium Games uh, tried to do a Kickstarter project for a Robotech tabletop uh, war game mm. that just completely fell apart it 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 the 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 management style it turns out the management style that kevin cambieta uh and i know i'm probably mispronouncing his name but whatever uh that the owner of palladium games likes to uh, engage in is not really compatible with trying to do something like a kickstarter and yeah the whole the whole project uh went up in a in a ball of purple flame so uh that's too bad that sounds like it would have been fun it it would have been and the models actually looked really awesome but oh i bet anyway i'm i'm bird walking i'm pulling us way off topic so i apologize for that but (laughs) we all um, have our roles to play yeah there we go (laughs) so okay you have a physical copy already made up uh that is i mean i'm i'm gobsmacked and and i believe you even told me that but to see it in your hand was was pretty damn cool it's yeah it's, it's, it's pretty cool it's it was uh I'll admit a little bit of an emotional experience to open the box and hold it in my hands. I bet. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I can believe I it. I bet. I yeah. Because I mean, it was three years of uh, work. That's a lot. Of... Yeah, so... a, a year to write it and mm-hmm. two, a little over two years to do the art and finish out the the actual book itself. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's cool. All right, that so is... I got to ask. You mentioned that post-apocalyptic is very near and dear dear to your heart dig into that for me so what is it that you love about post-apocalyptic uh what have you done in the past regarding post-apocalyptic um and why do you keep coming back to post-apocalyptic as a genre oh well, i see going back to the beginning um where it first caught my eye would have been the early 1980s because i'm a man of that age mm-hmm. and discovered a film called road warrior with mel gibson which i'm sure a lot yes. of are familiar with yes but also at the same time most people who have uh role played their first experience was dungeons and dragons my first role play experience was an, also a tsrr product called gamma world oh seriously oh, absolutely wow. okay oh that's freaking awesome yep and oh, both, wow. you know, first, okay, both cool. early 80s, like I'd say 83, 84, 82, you know, 82 to 84, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And I, those both came into my life about the same time. And I realized that it was fascinating to me. And um, over the years, and I'll get into other things that I've done, but the main reason that I focus on that genre is because I'm fascinated with the potential stories or avenues that things can go when humanity has the security blanket of civilization yanked away from them and how they react. And I really it, love that phrasing. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like uh, thank you. It's, and it's something that, you know, storytellers, there's, there's infinite options that you can do. You know, my book, for example, it's post-apocalyptic, mm-hmm. but if, for people who 
you know, post-apocalypse means something like The Walking Dead. Well, my book doesn't have zombies. Or if they're a Fallout player, which I've lost far too much of my life to those games. <laughs> they're absolutely gorgeous. I love them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my book doesn't have, you know, mutants and monsters and things like that. You know, the, aesthetically, the closest that I would compare my book to is Book of Eli, the Denzel Washington okay. film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because that I... is a, that's a quote unquote real world setting. Right. And that's what's most fascinating to me because I, I want to feel people react to this new reality. And, you know, all the window dressing of, of mutants and monsters and zombies is fun. And, you know, you know, last of the V8 interceptors and all of that is super cool. And I love it. It's just for me, when I sit down and I want to play in that, you know, playground, I go more for the, how do people deal with this? So let me ask you this. How is that different than dark fantasy? Like Conan the Barbarian fantasy? Um, I would argue that um, Conan and dark fantasy and things like that, there are entities that could be called governments. There is some infrastructure of a sort. Okay. And there's some, you know, there are, I mean, you know, post-apocalyptic, books have leaders you know tribal leaders or things like that and you tend to have much smaller scale government but still there's somebody trying to create a social contract contract of of sorts well that gets into you know another thing that i did for several years i co-hosted a podcast analyzing the genre called post-apocalypse oh and five years over 100 episodes wow um going over movies tv shows books video games all of that nice and doing that i came up with and there's variations and exceptions of course but usually in most post-apocalyptic entertainment you find people fall into one of three main categories and that is after the apocalypse happens you have a group of people that immediately want to rebuild what they've lost Mm -hmm. you have a group of people who see this as a reset button where they have a clean slate to do something better Mm -hmm. And then you have the people who I, and I kind of combined that either just can't cope with what's happened and they lose their mind or they lean into the chaos and just, you know, go crazy and, and, you know, uh, give over to their id to the nth degree. And there's always exceptions in subcategories of things like that. For the most part, if you watch, if you watch most um, post-apocalyptic films tv shows whatever it is people broadly fall into one of those three categories most of the time yeah i mean it it, those strike me as as three different uh leaders that we've seen through the walking dead for instance you had um uh what's his name uh rick's partner uh oh shane yeah shane clearly leaning into the chaos you had rick trying to you know we need to have civilization still grabbing to the past in fairness he just woke up uh and then later (laughs) on you have the king uh who's like i'm a king now and i have a pet tiger and you're like bro what were you before like you know right but i would argue that he's not trying to build something better he's even reaching further into the past than rick was rick was reaching in you know reaching back to his immediate past just to recreate the modern world right you know the you know uh ezekiel yeah Ezekiel ezekiel was um looking at the situation, deciding that there was a different structure that was better for this current, you know, world that we're living in. It was more of a feudal setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it worked, sure. you know, for him. 
but there, you didn't really find too many people that were trying to create a new type of society out of it. Yeah, no, I think, I think, um, oh, and I'm forgetting the title of the TV series because it only lasted like three quarters of a season. Um, oh, hell. And it had oh, the, the bad from Twilight. It was the spinoff from uh, nice. Nice. Cheers. Nice. Yeah. Well, well played. You're a horrible, well played. horrible man. <laughs> I'm so glad somebody else sees it. Oh. At what point do we say but, good day, sir? <laughs> uh, usually that's tied specifically to a pun. Yeah. Um, which which this was not, but it is an example yeah. of him being a horrible human being. Um, <laughs> Different genres. Same. But but yeah. But uh, oh, damn it, it was. I don't remember which network it was on. Tell me about it. Had, give me some. Give me some. It was. Uh, the 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 dad from Twilight. Um, okay, you lost was, me there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but the 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 central the central premise was one one oh, morning was... all of a sudden elect, electrical anything electronic mm-hmm. just oh, stopped oh, no, working. I, yes, I, that uh, John Favreau was a producer on it, and. <sighs> Now the, the name is escaping me as well, but yeah, no, we no. talked about revolution. There we go. Yes, there we go. Revolution. Yeah. So, so um, I thought you were talking about the Cinderella uh, sitcom from 1987. So, oh, nice. nice. Good yeah, job. no, that, yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> no, it was Snow White. I'm sorry. Asshole. Um, but no, uh, revolution, um, I think kind of wanted to try to go in a direction of somebody's you know of, of of there being you know individuals who, who wanted to try to build you know a new kind of utopia um if but i'm remembering it, it, clearly but but it, it, it didn't it didn't yeah it didn't last long enough for yeah, revolution went about that. a season and a half i think yeah oh wow well, that's longer than i thought yeah it, went, it, it got a full first season and i actually yeah. that is one of my favorite examples of world building in the mm. genre because they did a fantastic job of showing the main area where the characters lived, but they would allude to other parts of what used to be the United States and make references to the state that they were in. Mm-hmm. And we would see little glimpses like a map or something like that and be told there is a whole lot more outside of where we're at right now. And we might show it to you one day. And that's one of my favorite things about these things of, you know, if we have the time and ability, we'll show you, we'll go here, we'll go there. And there's, a, you know, other stuff out yeah. there, which is why I like the Fallout games, because you just get to wander and explore. Yeah. Yeah. The, the world building in Revolution was amazing. It's it's kind of a shame that so much of the writing was so deeply, deeply tropey and kind of limited. Well, it's um, first season of something, though. You have well, to get all your archetypical but... stuff in. I mean, look at the first season of MASH. It, I mean, it's super tropey. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, and, it's rare. Yeah. It's rare to have a series not do that, quite honestly. But it, it's also that happens in 2012. I think uh, the revolution came out in 2012. That would have yeah. been right after okay. the bubble collapsed and and things were really uh, bad. People yeah. ain't gonna want to see that. So, I mean, ultimately, yeah. society said the revolution well, yeah, no, this, will not be guys... televised. <laughs> Good day, sir. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So okay, so you you love the idea of a society, uh, like you said, having the the safety blanket ripped away, yanked away, um, and kind of what which it is tells a very us, Lovecraft, which is a very Lovecraftian kind of outlook on civilization versus barbarism. Mm-hmm. You know, because you mentioned Conan, which mm-hmm. is uh, uh, Robert E. Howard. 
right. uh, who who was you know basically anti-civilization, and he was as we've mentioned before, you know, best buddies with Lovecraft, who was like, no, 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 the, 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 the blanket of civilization is the only thing that prevents us from literally eating one another and being devoured by monsters from beyond the stars, you know? Sure. So, so, um, but I, I, I have an affinity for survival movies, movies where a bad thing happens and then your, your people are trying to survive the thing that happened because and i think there's here's where we we have that overlap what does it tell us about ourselves exactly when yeah when all the all the shit that you get oh you're a tiktok influencer that's great uh we need water right you know (laughs) do you know Uh, how to do that right no you don't okay stand here in the shade so we don't have to worry about you and and i'm gonna go dig something you know and stuff like that and just how people's natures and or their reactions to stress guide them into altruism or savagery um well, and i love also, stuff like that um pragmatism you know mm-hmm. okay you're a tiktok influencer and you don't know how to do anything well you're not worth the limited amount of food i have sorry right yeah yeah um and and i just want to plug this here because i'm a huge fan um this conversation reminds me of a song by canadian musician Corb Lund getting down on the mountain. I don't know if either one of you are at all familiar. Sounds like a sex thing. Uh, it sounds like it, but it's totally yeah, not. Yeah, like a, um, a fanfic sex uh, thing of yeah. uh, Game of Thrones. Getting there down you on the mountain. There you Actually, go. I, it, yeah. it, my mind went to Grizzly Adams slash fic. So. Okay, there you go. I oh, might you go. I might actually have to go on to uh, AO3 and, and actually like write both of those now. Um, I, I, like I, I hate I hate you both. That's why he's telling but, them to leave at the end. He's like ho door. So. Uh, but but the song literally mentions uh, water ain't running in the city no more till you're holding precious metal. Oh, can oh. you get the fish? Can you read the stars? What's uh, yeah, didn't yeah, what do you hear. have to offer? Yeah, yeah I didn't quite hear your answer in the book. Yeah, what yeah. Do you have to offer. You know, yeah. can you contribute? That's such yeah. a, a departure from like the gleeful uh approach of nothing but flowers by the talking heads you know yeah. uh this this uh, this was a parking lot now it's nothing but flowers you know this was a pizza hut yeah uh, the idealized yeah. you know when nature reclaims things it's it's a utopia and you know that right. kind of thing yeah yeah but he's yeah. actually talking about it as though it's an awful thing he's like you know it it, it, it used to be a 7-eleven you know i i can't get used to this lifestyle you know mm-hmm. yeah david byrne kind of inverting it so yeah, okay. You 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 dig on 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 that for that reason. Do you find that it's easier or harder to write a story when people are stripped down on that level? Uh, for me, it wasn't just because, as I said, you know, doing over a hundred episodes of a podcast analyzing the genre, mm-hmm. you see a lot of different takes on it, a lot of different approaches, and over time, I gradually started to think of you know that maybe I had a, a story to contribute to the the you know environment mm-hmm. and actually what triggered the whole idea oddly enough was several years ago when they released um artist concept drawings of the new professional basketball arena that was going to be built in sacramento mm-hmm. um i looked at it. it's a very unique looking building from the outside for mm-hmm. anyone that's seen at the golden one center yep. and my brain of course said i wonder what that would look like in the apocalypse <laughs> And they were hanging plants off the side of it too. Like they were doing all kinds of stuff with that. So that would, that kind of harkens to, to things like Chernobyl, where you see the Ivy creeping up the walls of things and whatnot. Right. 
And I started expanding that to oh, what would other places here in Sacramento look like? You know, the, you know, the, the Tower Bridge that isn't uh, something we have here, the Capitol Building, et cetera. Tower Records and, would look like it does now. Right. <laughs> and then largely yes and then i started thinking how can i tie all of these images together you know because with, with mm-hmm. me it always starts with images because i was an artist before I, I wrote so i started thinking how can i tie this together and so i started to outline the book and you know my process for that i i'm not formally trained as as a writer mm-hmm. you know but for me the way i describe it is i wrote like i drew like i draw you know, when you're drawing, say, a figure, you start with the stick figure, and then you flesh it out a little bit and add shapes for, for you know, muscle groups, and then you go in and add more detail. And that's what I did with, you know, the story for the book. I wrote, like, a two or three sentence thing that told the entire story of the book, be, you know, beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And then I went back and I expanded it to a couple paragraphs or a page, mm-hmm. and then I expanded it further. And then I got to the point where it was detailed enough that I started breaking it into chapters and you know, and I just continued to flesh it out that way until, you know, eventually I had a book. That's cool. So and it worked out pretty well. So, I mean, it's called Republic. So, and, and so there's a couple things that it, it that tickles my brain on. Uh, number one, historian. So I'm thinking of the world's most famous Republic, uh, the Dominican Republic. Exactly. Right. I'm glad you noticed that. I worked hard yes. to get that in there. Yeah. Uh, despite the lack of baseball bats, I still was able to make that connection. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, uh, the uh, Roman yes. uh, history. So were you taking inspiration from that or are you just a huge soccer fan? No, I was absolutely taking um, inspiration from Roman history. Okay. Um, and if, if you know, the listeners here know that you've talked about Roman history you know, on numerous occasions. So they probably mm-hmm. have it more than a passing um, experience with it. Either an eye roll or an, <laughs> an interest, you know, either way. But I started seeing parallels of, you know, Rome is a, a city on a river. Mm-hmm. Sacramento is a city on a river. Both used to be swamps. Yeah. yeah. Used also... to be? Wait, wait, back up. <laughs> Sorry, we've it's literally February. elevated. The, we've it's, elevated this city by like twelve feet. We are no longer. Oh, I, 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 I understand that, but we haven't done it everywhere. I, it's February, and I have mosquitoes in my backyard. Like, no, no. Huh? No, I'm sorry. I take offense, sir. You passed tense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. Anyway, sorry, Carrie. I, that, I had to. I good. had to. I had to let that off my chest. But carry on. But also, um, in addition to it being a river on a city, um, you know, Rome, city on a river. Yeah. yeah there you it go. So works either way. Why you got to Depending on how much snowfall we get, that's true. It could be a river yeah. on a city. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but also, Rome mm-hmm. began as a monarchy. Yep. And ruled by foreigners. A republic. Mm-hmm. And Sacramento has a professional basketball team called the Kings. And they also have a professional football club called the Republic. So, one other thing that I like in the post apocalyptic genre is the trope of people discovering things from the past and misinterpreting their meaning. Ooh, tell me more. Um, For for example, um, there is a a book called Canical for Leibowitz. Yes. A a famous sci-fi post-apocalyptic book that has a version of uh, actually Catholic church, you know, like a thousand years in the future. And, 
you know, there are members that go around, you know, getting ancient technology and, and preserving things, but they are interpreting it through their current world and not necessarily getting it right. So, and, and, and I think it's interesting, again, it's, it gives options for how people see things. It's options for storytelling. So in my mind, you know, the people in this city current in, in my story look and they find evidence of, you know, kings all over the place. And they find, you know, paraphernalia that says Republic. And they, you know, even though literacy is, is dropped significantly, there still are a few people that can, right. you know, function at, at a, you know, elementary school level of reading, maybe not, you know, so we've much improved. higher than that. We've improved. Right. But right. Um, <laughs> no, there was a line in the comic that I really I, liked. I, What's that? I, I, w- I, I wish you saying that didn't make me laugh that way. <laughs> Given I, that you I, teach I, English. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a line in the, in the, in the book that I really liked and I hope I'm not giving it away, but it's, it's, uh, it's something like, we don't know if we were first a city of Kings that turned into a Republic or a, a Republic that turned into Kings. Mm-hmm. There was something in there that you said. It was it, you did it much more poetically. Um, and and folks, if you want to really read it, you should probably buy the damn thing. But uh, but it was such a neat little juxtaposition because I come at it from the historian's perspective, which carries with it a layer of inevitability of the past. It happened that way, so it's inevitable that it happened that way. Even though there were plenty of like when they deposed the seventh king. He went and raised an army and came back and tried to get rid of the consuls. And then one of the consuls got fired for uh, nepotism. I mean, it was really messy right around 510. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, but I look at it as, well, naturally, you go king, then you go republic, and then you go empire. That's how it went. Therefore, that's how it always goes. And so I love the idea that, like you said, they're, they're seeing old things and and not necessarily getting them right, but also it liberates them from the paradigm that I'm kind of stuck in subconsciously of this is the natural order of things. And there's nothing to say that you don't go from a Republic to a kingdom. Right. Exactly. Because also they're, they don't have the history that we, we live with. So like you said, you know, they don't have the guardrails of, you know, oh, this came before, and we know that in the past, this came after, so that means that, you know, the next thing will come after. Right. They're, they're, they're starting from scratch with, with no background, so they don't know what comes next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love I love the childlike innocence involved in you saying that knowing what came before is a guardrail. Because yeah. looking, at, looking at recent history, I don't feel like guardrail is the right... Yeah, having having spent the last Avenger of Doom. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel you know, well, I've I've gotten I've gotten really, really comfortable with understanding how Cassandra felt in Troy. Like guys, <laughs> my my people, please can I just can I interest you in please looking at how this went last time? <laughs> can like maybe? okay cool carry on whatever fuck it i'm out you know (laughs) sorry i i again had to vent um but yeah i i I think i think what you're what you're what you're saying there is 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 very powerful and that is a very powerful part of the genre that you're that you're working in do you find that it also gives more i don't know gravitas maybe uh to to your work given that you are basing it 
on some levels in a shared Western civilization history? I'm going to use a broad brush to, to paint quickly there. Sure. Um, yeah, I do, because I think because some of those things are influencing the, the story that I built, I think that it makes it easier for people to identify on certain things going on. And, you know, with a graphic novel, you are limited in how much dialogue and how much speech you can have because it is a primarily visual medium. It's right. not prose. And it's not like, you know, George R. R. Martin writing a thousand page book, <laughs> you know, or not writing a thousand page book. Um, but so or, or since, saying he's writing a thousand page book, but we don't have pages. Right. right. Is this so about having... Is it something about having two middle initials of R make it so that you just can't like pare things down? Don't, a little? don't even what? No, I just, Oh, virtually in my house, you dare. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it, it helped me because I, I knew I had limited space to work with mm -hmm. and leaning on some of those well-known tropes or, or visuals or um, institutions Help mm -hmm. tell part of the story that I didn't have to explain, so I could spend more time on my story. And even even with that, you know, uh, I'm sure you probably have noticed, and other people that have read the book have noticed that the you know the first quarter to half of the book is much more verbose than the later part of the book because I did have to explain a lot of things and yeah. set a lot of things up because I was you know building a brand new world. And so if I hadn't had that imagery and those other things to work on that are part of the collective consciousness in Western, the Western world, mm -hmm. it would have been even more wordy than it already was. Makes sense. Makes sense. What drew you to Roman history in general? Just um, Roman history in general, I think, I mean, I, I always enjoyed history in, in the broad sense. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I was younger, I went through a phase where I read a lot of American civil war history. Mm -hmm. um, and then Later on, I stumbled across uh, a bit of uh, Roman fiction, um, an author named Stephen Saylor. Yeah, that's my boy. Yeah. I met, I, did I tell you I've met him? I, I've met him also. Oh, okay. Very, cool. very nice guy. Yeah. Um, I got and... a feeling we met at very different circumstances. Yeah, I met him at a book signing. Okay. Yeah, I met him at a, uh, I, I delivered a lecture as to how Aeneas was warning Dido off. Oh, no, I did a completely different lecture. Yeah. Okay. Good. There you go. <laughs> but I delivered yeah. to like six yeah. to 12th graders and I told the adults, I'm like, at this point it's turning PG 13 and possibly R. So if you want to shepherd them out, you can, if not, y'all chose this. Right. So, but nice. then I met him and, and uh, yeah, but okay. So you, you fell yeah, in love so with his I, books. I came across um, his book. I discovered that there was a whole, you know, much larger than I thought. Yeah. industry of roman fiction and uh, and also roman mysteries yeah was a, it was a huge subgenre of that yeah so oh, shit hold on yeah the subrosa series back it's the truck up gordianus the finder yeah uh, yeah okay lindsey davis um mm -hmm. there's a there's another uh, gentleman that also writes and these are all you know murder mysteries set in ancient rome are they all also former uh homosexual erotica writers because i know sailor no was. steven's only one okay. that I, okay. i'm aware of yeah well like, they are writing about rome so and, and i gotta tell you it helps. wouldn't be surprising it absolutely helps <laughs> the scenes between gordianus and his wife hubba how 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 was i utterly unaware that this existed until right now 
Oh, it's 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 absolutely it's, fantastic. Yeah. There, and there's a lot of good writers there. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot of good books in there. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm so, so disappointed so, in yeah. myself, but okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna have to hit you up for for oh, names yeah. and recommendations. Because yeah, shoot, I'll crap. lend you some books. All right, yeah. cool. All right, yeah, that's what got me started on on Roman history, and then I branched off onto you know just recreationally reading nonfiction, mm -hmm. um, like you do things and yeah, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm also I'm also a, a grad school dropout, so the closest I got to serious academia was uh, a comparative analysis of four biographies of Julius Caesar. Oh, nice. Which ones? Like um, Suetonius, Suetonius, um, uh, uh, Meyer. Okay um fuller okay and oh uh um stroud or crowd he was so civil war right three contemporaries or three more moderns and then one ancient. one contemporary okay. yeah the the, the post-civil war one was interesting because he was the guy that uh more blatantly compared uh caesar to christ for saving all of humanity Ah, uh, okay. Wow. Yeah, very, very much the great man era of history. Yeah, I was gonna say it's the 1800s. What do you expect? Holy yeah, man. I mean, even hey, they had the same initials, you know, so they were the same. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Tropy. Right. Okay. I. Yes. It, never mind. No. Just not. I. Carry on. That, that, I, that's a different podcast. Yeah, that's 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 a whole that's a whole different set hey, of when, when I don't have a book to talk about, I would be happy to come back and just talk about whatever yeah. oh jesus okay <laughs> all right <Wow>. so <laughs> that's cool okay so that that kind of looped in and so you just kind of kept a a a finger on that pulse point and then it right. just kind of fed into what you do history i think um helped me with my world building sure yeah because i think about you know what what came before and, and where have right. we been and you know the setting of, of this book is you know a group of uh, survivors found the the ruins of a large city mm -hmm. and uh, they started out just hiding in, in destroyed buildings and trying to survive day to day right and gradually over over you know decades other people showed up that that felt the same way and they could work together and they gradually grew a community and then the community got bigger and by the time the book starts they are a regional power for lack right. of a better word and again parallels roman history i was about to say i mean in many ways, Rome is a post-apocalyptic story. We just don't really have an apocalypse. It just right. Well, yeah. It, it, the, well, the we do have an apocalypse. So the fall speak, of Troy. Is, well, that's one way. I mean, that's for. Eh, but he runs. Okay, Aeneas runs into several kingdoms that exist. Yes. Yeah, well, in Hesperia. I'm like you that know, shit and, existed. Like well, Rome but in itself. A sense of psychic trauma. But, but the immediate area of Rome. Mm -hmm. is apocalyptic in the sense that the land that they found there was nothing there before right so they are building from scratch yep as far as their city yeah you know so it's similar but but yeah so that's where we're at when my book starts is mm -hmm. they become a regional power and then they hear rumors and inklings of a large nomadic people moving into their territory again roman history right attila you know hey i only steal from the Gauls. best yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that is um you know, the, the conflict that I thought was interesting, because then we get sure. into the topic of, you know, what do people do? And is a um, modern, quote unquote, morality applicable in an apocalyptic setting, you know, or when you do something yeah. like you have to survive, so you would kill somebody, is it morally wrong? If, you know, if it's you and if it's literally you and him, and you survive, or he survives, or 
Is it morally wrong to say, okay, I have a family. This person has food. My family will die without that food. Is it morally okay for me to kill that person and take his food to feed my family? Right. Starvation is a big thing I've noticed. Like in our discussion of V for Vendetta, you brought up starvation mm-hmm. a few times too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that, that seems to be a recurrent theme for you. Um, well, just because it's the easiest example to put a moral code up against. True. Because to, to how- put... Yeah. To, to make the to make the stakes that extreme that's the easiest that, that's the easiest example that's the, that's the well, i think yeah. that would be cannibalism if you wanted extreme stakes um you'd have cannibalism <laughs> right so. sir i said good day <laughs> but yeah that, you that, get nothing <laughs> but that is uh, the easiest example to sure to analyze if someone says you know well Under all circumstances, the point that you would right. rather die, you know, would you slowly starve to death rather than take someone else's life? You know, right. and some people are committed enough that they would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But a lot of people get to the point of, you know what, I'm going to survive first and then I'll deal with the, the the guilt or the moral ramifications later. I'll get yeah. therapy later. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And, and again, I go back to Corb Lund and the song I mentioned before. You ever seen a man whose kids ain't eight for 17 days and counting? Yeah. Oof. See, that's a good argument for unions. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you do what you need to do. Yeah. And, and, and along those same lines, I'm sorry to jump again, but in, yeah. another film that um, is one of my favorite post-apocalyptic films and also a fantastic book is oh, The Road. I was about to say, are you mm-hmm. going to mention Cormac yeah. McCarthy? Cormac yeah. McCarthy, yeah. That when was I was good. doing the podcast, we did an episode on that and I read the book and saw the movie both. And yeah. I would describe the book as something that I absolutely loved it was the most it was a absolutely phenomenal book and when i was done i wanted to stick my head in an oven yeah <laughs> it's really well done it is so bleak yeah and, and yeah. i give immense respect to the filmmakers who adapted it because they did not hollywoodize it no they did they no. kept it an incredibly bleak film they did and, something with the film too to make it kind of they almost blackwashed it well and, and that was you know something else that i really enjoyed because it's similar to the book of eli with denzel washington mm-hmm. you know it has that um desaturated private, that, that saving private ryan desaturated you know right. pale color palette look to yeah. it which is a, a good fitting for the book i didn't go quite that far with my book but i did kind of go with more of a not sepia but earth tone palette was i not noticed a, yeah it's not a bright four color type thing that people normally think of comics because that doesn't have a fit to an apocalyptic genre right but there so, was there was a bit of flair involved as well like there it was it was very obvious i was like oh wow he's going with a lot of reds but there were little accents here and there and it's like well of course there would be as 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 yeah yeah, as ed has often pointed out in westerns and uh in in renaissance times people wore a shit ton of gaudy colors because it showed off something you know and so people would still be attracted to that absolutely and sorry what 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 did ancient rome look like yeah well yeah like tokyo without the neon right Yeah. yeah yeah Um, and, and my, my question actually related to the color palette there, um, is that more for you about the tone of the story you're telling, or is it part of these folks are living in a primitive environment where they're not going to have access to, like, is it, is it part of the, is it part of the realism of the environment they're in, or is it more, a tonal thing as as an artist or is like where's the where's the balance point on 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 that for you i'll answer that by saying yes 
Okay. Awesome. <laughs> because it absolutely is both. It, it, okay. In, in world building in my mind, it made sense that this color palette would be naturally exist in this environment. But at the same time, it, it absolutely is part of the storytelling from an emotional level because, you know, we react emotionally to colors. Yeah. And oh, very much. If everything yeah. was, you know, bright and vivid. It would be a, a more, you know, upbeat and, and, you know, quote unquote, happy story, which is not what I was telling. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. there are flashes of color, but for specific emotional beats in the story, mm -hmm. not because it's bright and shiny and, and, and it's neat, you know. Mm -hmm. So, no, that was absolutely intentional. I had or a lot ties, of conversations with my colorist about the palette for the book. Or it ties directly to that character's uh, sense of themselves, even. Mm -hmm. I noticed in, in some of your characters, again, without giving it away, but I noticed some of your characters like, oh, it's interesting. He's really theming himself out differently than the others, uh, you know, in, in his color choices here. Um, and right. it made sense because he's a bit of an outsider and that kind of thing. And also just to make sure that I, we've been all over the place, which I enjoy immensely, but I want yes. to make sure that people are clear on, you know, the book itself, as I said, it is a group of people that, re, that are rebuilding an ancient city. Mm -hmm. They find out about a large nomadic group coming into their area, and those two groups come into conflict, but it's, also, it's not just a physical conflict, it's also a conflict of ideologies. Yeah. And one of the things that was very important to me was not to have two-dimensional cartoonish good guy, bad guy. Because right. even though the the Republic, the city, it, it is the protagonist of the story, and the nomadic people are the antagonists for you know just for labeling purposes, that doesn't mean that I view the actions or uh, point of view of the, the nomadic people as wrong or bad or evil or anything like that. Because there's more than one you know two people faced with the same obstacle will mm -hmm. come up with different solutions. Yeah, and felt... their solution may be more, you know, uh, disturbing by our current mm -hmm. moral rules, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't effective and accomplished what they needed to accomplish and was perfectly acceptable in their eyes. Yeah, and and there's there's a couple twin thoughts there. One, uh, we we keep forgetting that evolution, either of ideology or biology um, or culture, is aimed at adequacy and minimum adequacy, just enough to get over the next hump. Uh, who knows if it's well-adapted or maladapted for the next hump, you know? And, and so, you know, not perfection. Uh, but the other thing is I really loved about your antagonist and protagonist because they weren't good guys and bad guys. They were two people who had uh, incompatible worldviews abrading each other. Absolutely. And, that's, a, and, that's a great way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. So you and, can and put also, that on the back of your book on that. I'll, that I'll do book that. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll credit you, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but it also goes back to a lot of, you know, um, the hierarchy of needs. Yeah. You know, if, if you need food and shelter and you don't have that, you, you don't aspire to more than that. True. You know, and that's one of the, you know, when we uh, open the book, and I'm not, I'm not spoiling anything, when, when the book opens, you know, the Republic has grown to the point that they have done things like uh, you know they have uh, you know some agriculture or they're cleaning up the city trying to make it you know more habitable they're 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 building walls to protect themselves mm -hmm. because they've addressed their most baseline needs so now they're aspiring to the next level of what else can we do mm -hmm. yeah 
All right, so I have a series of questions um, okay. that I think we could probably just rapid fire as as we're coming to a close. But before well, I, do I don't know, that, you, you, you've heard yeah. me. I don't know how rapid I can be, but I'll try. <laughs> uh, but before we do that, I also want to uh, give Ed a chance to ask anything he wants before I start uh, machine gunning you here. Uh, not really. Uh, okay. Mostly, I'm, I'm just, I, I guess, uh, biggest question I have is, um, have you gotten the Kickstarter started yet? Or Ed? you are my new best friend for making sure to keep me on point. <laughs> so when it comes to the Kickstarter, it is launching March 1st. So I'm not sure okay. when you're planning on dropping this episode of the show. Uh, right around there, actually. Yeah, okay. actually, that's that's uh, one of the closest points to to mm-hmm. anybody plugging anything we've actually ever yeah, ever had line up. So you're, you're remarkably fortunate there. So it'll drop either March 4th or March 11th. So. Oh, oh! So it'll be after. Okay, it'll it, be after yeah. the. Well, I, yeah, we'll 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 talk after. I don't want to okay. do an on-air meeting, but uh, we could certainly uh, sure no move, problem moving stuff around. And yeah. so yes, yeah, it's, it's launching March first, and you can either go to Kickstarter and search for the Republic, or um, you can also just go to therepublicnovel.com, and that will redirect you to the Kickstarter page. So that might be an easier for people to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, March first is when it starts, and it's going to run for three weeks. And there's some cool options. You know, you can get a digital copy if you don't need a physical one, going back to our conversation about, you know, physical stuff. Um, that also probably will work best for international people mm-hmm. uh, because shipping being what it is right now in the world, that could be challenging. Um, you can get a soft cover copy like the samples that I made up that I have here. Also, the printer I'm working with has the option for a hardcover edition. Ooh. So that will be something if people want to pay a premium and they love me a lot and want to support me, um, <laughs> we can get a hardcover version of it. And we're also throwing in some um, some cool extra rewards and stretch goals. You know, For example, originally the book was going to be a four-issue miniseries that I was going to try to uh, get a conventional comic publisher to put out through the comic book store market. But then the world exploded and things changed. So I decided to go the Kickstarter route and condense it down into a single volume. Well, that left me with covers for four issues of the book that my penciler did a fantastic job on, which I repurposed to be chapter um, pages, but you only get half the cover because you did a wraparound cover for every issue of the book. So one of the rewards that we're offering is art prints of the full four covers that she did so you can see the great work that she did. And there's a couple other things that we're doing too. You know, we're doing, you know, like a bookmark, you know, with some original art that she did that's not taken from the book. It's original just for, for that item and, you know, cool little things like that. Nice. Very cool. Nice. And, Very and cool. I just, I checked my calendar while you two were uh, talking about um, something that seems kind of important. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this episode is actually dropping on February 25th. If everybody checks their calendar okay, so right it's now, before. it's February right. 25th. Yeah. So if yes. you go to if you go to the republicnovel.com before March 1st, mm-hmm. it will take you to what they call a pre-launch page in Kickstarter where you get to put in your email address and it will notify you when the campaign launches. Fantastic. So pre-March 1st, you just put in your email address and you'll get told when it starts. After March 1st, it'll be a live campaign. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. So I've I've got questions for you now. So mm-hmm. having read the the whole thing uh i i want to know in chapter two okay um there are several characters whose names are it did you do the names on purpose i I chose names on purpose okay do you want me to leave it at that or no as far as the origin of the names i'm fine talking about okay 
why it, did it won't you spoil choose, anything okay cool why did you choose studio directors and heads uh, uh for their names um so that is the the nomadic people mm -hmm. and they were referred to in the book as the southern tribes mm -hmm. because in my world building they okay. were in southern california okay and awesome. as the centuries went by southern california reverted to its natural state which is a desert right and that meant that resources became more and more scarce and forced them north so it's chinatown so, jake <laughs> yeah exactly nice. I, I, yeah. I just like i told you i steal from the best right um so so yes absolutely you know the the leader of the southern tribes is a gentleman named warner and there also is a character named griffith which wasn't uh that was more for the observatory mm -hmm. it was more of a geographic pull than uh than not a, a dw griffith okay. you know just like the the main character uh, in the, on the republic side is named sutter See, that was obvious safe place names of here being right. a Sacramentan. Cool. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, there's the fort. So it makes yes. sense that the guy whose job is to keep everyone safe is named for a fort. Uh, but yeah, I saw Griffith and I saw uh, the, the Warner. Warner. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm just like, wait a minute. Like, is this is this har a harbinger of like tremendous abuse and killing off extras just to make it, you know, a, a better scene? Or? No, they saw something that said Warner and, and it was a cool yeah. name. You know, I, I, like, I get very simple and think, like I said, it's yeah. that finding the past and, right. you know, not misinterpreting it, but just adopting things from the past. Right. right. Very cool. All right. So uh, now, and, and I even the next question, clearly the first chapter names were drawn from the area, specifically schools uh or because schools have signage everywhere so i could mm -hmm. absolutely see that being schools but also a few landmarks mm -hmm. um the signage of the city um so was it just uh, again kind of like what we saw in the postman which i still maintain is a very good movie i am one of the few people that actually enjoyed both Waterworld and the postman postman okay. more than Waterworld. me too but because postman had again good world building yeah yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. whereas Waterworld. Yeah was water world was lazy world building it's all covered in water yeah but it was dennis hopper chewing the scenery and it was true. fantastic <laughs> true yeah i mean it, it was really him on a boat instead of him on a bus right yeah like, exactly so. and if the bus slows if the boat slows down right smokers uh so all right so did you uh did you name them because i was thinking like ford lincoln mercury right lorenz okay. tate's character named himself right, after right, right. the big marquee there so was it just you were pulling names or were you specifically calling back to the historical people or were you just saying signage? Um, it was a little bit of everything. Uh, okay. in, in the Republic, there's a character called Hopkins. Right. Which, which there's a big ass sign in Old Sack still well, painted on a building. Um, true, but I got that more from a, a California history class that I took. Right. Talking about the big four in California, you know, right. Stanford and Hopkins and um crocker and crocker and what was it? i was thinking the fourth one huntington huntington Is that what, huntington okay uh That's, Stu by Sutcliffe the way, was with them to begin with but then he went off to an art school out east instead with his german girlfriend so so yeah that's why i remember i think it's hopkins it has nope, the, big that's red the beatles one. never mind oh never mind yeah stop it. I'm, I'm moving beyond that someone should. but no I'm, hopkins i believe was the one that has the big red granite um crypt downtown yeah. If I remember yeah correctly yeah yeah so so yeah so i, I was yeah. trying to pull regional names because i thought it would be logical for them to find things scattered about the you know debris of society and mm -hmm. and just you know make use of them yeah absolutely 
And some of the other ones are just little things that I pulled from movies or comic books that are just meaningful to me and they don't mean anything to anybody else. Gotcha. All right. So did you scout locations for your scenes? Um, yes, I did. Um, in addition to the Google Earth for my um, mm-hmm. penciler, for things that weren't easily accessible, I took a couple of days and I walked around downtown. And I took, you know, two oh, or 300 neat. pictures. That's got to be so cool knowing that you're doing that for a comic book. It was it was pretty cool. I, I I took so many pictures of the inside of the Capitol building because yeah. the inside of the Capitol is where there's a know, lot of scenes in there. There's yeah. a lot of scenes inside of the Capitol building because they have a a city council that mm-hmm. that rules the the area and they meet inside the Capitol because mm-hmm. they've pieced together that in the past this was an important building that you know created what they consider civilization. You know, mm-hmm. so they thought, okay, we're trying to rebuild something. It's a good idea if we if we do it here where they did it first, kind of a thing. So yeah, there's a lot of scenes inside of the Capitol building. So I took a lot of pictures of that. And then I just would wander around and take pictures of things that I thought were interesting just to give my penciler options on what she wanted to include. You know, for example, in the ch- first chapter, uh Sutter, the main character, the the house that he's in is actually the Crocker Mansion. Neat. Yeah. So I just, you know, wanted to Which, throw in a few, few things like that. All of that is the, uh, the, the scenes that you've got, I noticed they're all within a five minute walk of each other anyway. Well, yeah, because at that point, I mean, you know, Rome was a huge city population wise, physically not because you had to walk everywhere. Right. So you wouldn't have a city like Los Angeles. Exactly. Yeah. You, you're going to get no. from one end to Rome to the other if you know how to get there, because people would just build a building in the middle of a street and be like, it's called a sack now. What? Right, yeah. uh, and then <laughs> shit would burn down. Zoning right? was not a thing. Not yeah. a thing at all. Um, <laughs> whereas in Sacramento, they're like, no up housing or upscaling or whatever it's called uh, where you can up zone. Right. But yeah, but you can yeah. cross Rome quickly. You yeah. Know? And, you really and that could. was my whole point was. And also, if, if you look and, and you've mentioned an aerial picture, I can, you know, it's an aerial view of the city. Right. And but the walls that you look at, if you look at them closely, they in general align with the freeway freeways that yes. surround downtown Sacramento. Yes. Because my that. thought is they've made use of the asphalt and road surfaces there as the foundation of the walls that they built. Yeah, because that would be level. Yeah. Makes sense. So, Whereas if you were to center this on Los Angeles and do an aerial view uh you would find at the center is is like a a just a very small circular center but then around that is a larger concentric circle because it would be an aerial a i was waiting for where you were going i knew you were going there and i just sat here and let it feel dirty huh yeah yeah i I feel i need a shower when we're done if i had a nipple for every time someone told me that i tell you (laughs) you're right there ed you seem a little clamped up Okay, so Ed, what would you like to talk about? Oh, look at that. Look at him go. <laughs> I, right. I, good evening. Just <laughs> again, sir. All right, so I now here I have a, a quibbly couple of questions. Uh, one, did you ever think about incorporating Sacramento Zoo into what you were doing? Actually, I did not think about that. Um, I, my, my thought would be this is, you know, 200 years plus beyond the sure. end of the world so, so those animals would have there would be ranged no anim- elsewhere they would have ranged eaten. elsewhere or yeah more more you know cynical tim eaten yeah you know there wouldn't be animals because in the immediate aftermath you know dem's good eaten 
it, so, and, and they would have probably starved to death because people wouldn't have gone after. No one would have been feeding. Anyway. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them would have been domesticated. They wouldn't necessarily know how to survive. They wouldn't right. have been fed. So you know, okay. within short order, they would be gone. Okay. I mean, the, the environment would be there, but it wouldn't be anything that we would recognize. But as a site, you also did as a site. To... No, I mean, there's a lot okay. of sites that I could have chose on, but again, given limited space to work with, sure, in my narrative. You know, it's a, it's a four chapter book and, and it easily could have been a 12 chapter book. Mm -hmm. um, but sticking with things like, you know, Sutter's Fort, the Capitol, the Tower right. Bridge, you know, there's a number of places that, you know, and also I had to tell the story of the other group of the nomads. Well. Yeah. Took away from time, you know, in the city. So sure. I only had so much real estate to work with story wise. Sure. Okay. So uh, next question, uh, and this is one of those ones that I always wonder about when it comes to, and, and Ed will laugh when he hears me say it, um, because of his and my biases toward weapons. He's already knows. Wait, if I can stop you for a second. Yeah. Are you, I'm concerned about spoilers. Sure. I'm merely asking as to the nature of certain types of weapons. Our, our story is a, is a sword and bow and arrow story. Right, right. Why no blunt weapons? Why no baseball bats? Oh, well... Um, <laughs> Ed is just shaking his Because they're not visually as interesting. Swords are sexier. Get over it. <laughs> very, very true. Okay. Um, my, my, my response would be that you, you see small windows of a larger world Mm -hmm. just because okay. you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist okay fair enough fair you enough. know and, and that and that's one of the reasons what, one of the things that we haven't touched on but i do want to mention is that in the republic um they're they do have someone they refer to as the librarian right who works in what is the remains of the the main central library in downtown sacramento mm -hmm. and that was a great storytelling device for me because I could pick and choose what books they discovered and what they were able to decipher. And yep. if someone says, why didn't they do this? I can just say they didn't find that book. Sure. You know, because that's one thing, being a critic of the genre for a long time, you know, people often pick apart, you know, well, you didn't do this and this wouldn't have been like this. And, you know, for example, one of my favorite gripes about the post-apocalyptic genre is when people are driving around in cars 10 years after the apocalypse when no one realizes that gasoline becomes inert after about nine months. I say it expires. At, at most. Yeah. And, you know, unless you have a refinery off camera, you're not driving anywhere. Right. You know, so I wanted to make sure that I had a plausible explanation for why I included some things and sure. why I didn't include other things. Okay. Okay. I, and, and a lot of that and it's because Ed nailed it. Like I, I am a huge fan of blunt weapons because <laughs> uh, they don't get stuck between ribs. Uh, they croom off of people's heads and you can keep on going. Oh, they're very effective. And, yeah. and you know, uh, in, in the in the soon-to-be Netflix series of my book, which I'm sure will happen. Um, well, after we'll this podcast, how could it not? Yeah, we'll, sure, make yeah. sure, we'll make sure and have some baseball bats for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know what? I'll even give up points for that. Uh, oh. So I'll go from five down to three. Um, I, I appreciate that. Sure. But, you know, if you really want to hit the Roman history again, it would need to be table legs, right? Hell yes. <laughs> One of my favorite stories. Because that's what you ultimately always come back to. It's yeah, well, table legs. Because you know what? Well, that and quarter steps because you're a monk say, yeah, and you yeah. open doors. Exactly. You got to hold you know? them open with something. Yeah. Uh, but if you want a revolution, it starts with a table leg. 
So that's, that's how and a bundle of sticks. Uh, okay, so why horses, not bikes? Um, because bicycle tires are rubber. Okay. And those Makes degrade sense. over time and no one's making new ones. Good. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Um, okay, uh, so here's here's one, and this is something I'm always curious about with the different authors. What got edited out without um, giving away story, obviously, but yeah. uh, what 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 was your biggest darling that you had to get rid of? To be perfectly honest, yeah, there really wasn't awesome anything because of the way that I wrote the story. Okay, because I started with one paragraph. That right. was the entire story. And then I added and I added and I added and I kept adding until I filled in the parts that needed to be there to move the story along. But once I got a beginning, the middle end that I was pleased with, I stopped. Okay. So I know other writers write differently where they'll have scenes right. and they'll have moments. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I had a couple of those, Sure. but uh, those are in the book, but I didn't have entire subplots where okay i need to throw that away because you know i i wrote it with the intent of i knew how big of a story i wanted to tell mm -hmm. so i wrote to that i knew that i was going to have four chapters i knew the chapters were going to be roughly 24 pages each you know so i knew what i had to work with so i did not throw other things are there things that i have ideas for yes i mean i have an outline for an entire second book that is that will that if I get a chance to do it, and again, if the Kickstarter is successful, mm -hmm. that those funds will go towards a second book, and it would be bigger than this one. Gotcha. The re republic, right? The re the re republic as opposed right. to re Williams. Yeah, or as opposed to rerun. Hey, hey, hey! What's happening? <laughs> all right. So, all right. Um, so that's cool. I love, I love that you as, cause again, you know, like, like you were just saying, there's people who think in terms of scenes and, and stuff does get edited out. And, and, uh, there's an old phrase that I learned a long time ago was kill your darlings. Like if something's precious right. to you, the odds are it is only precious to you because of something that's probably subconscious. It won't translate. So right. save that yeah. and put it somewhere nice, but keep it out of your story. I built the frame first. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people start with the you know the dialogue and the character moments and and the window dressing that you know and that's where they get those darlings that you're talking about. Sure. I started, you know, I my feels like you're attacking more... Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> <laughs> He's fine, I guess. <laughs> I yeah, but but, but you but don't. for me, I'm much more plot driven than uh -huh. um, character. Not, I mean, obviously, I care about my characters because right. looking at the book, they talk a lot, they say a lot, and they have a lot to say. But my my primary goal was to serve the plot and to tell the story that I wanted to tell. And it goes back to world building. I love world building, so I wanted to create a mm -hmm. world for those people to live in, and that was my priority. Yeah. And I wanted to make it the most appealing and entertaining world that I could. And once built, once I've built that, then it makes it easier to put the people into that world. Mm -hmm. And the world gives you ideas on what they can do and what they can say and how they can react. And, you know, all those conversations we had about, you know, morality and, and what do you do and why do you do it? And once you build that world, you plop someone in and go, okay, well, this situation exists. So how do they react to it? So the, the environment helps tell the story. That makes sense. Uh, uh, and and when you do that, I would imagine you have a lot more archetypical characters 
Um, I'm not going to say stock characters because I don't think your characters were stock in any way. It wasn't like, oh, here's the badass fighter with the heart of gold who saves the puppies, you know, but it was they were archetypical, um, which makes sense if you're telling a contained four chapter story Mm -hmm. in a world like it's it is the world. And these are archetypical characters that will guide us through that world. Whereas. Right. And and I know that you would understand Mm -hmm. and and appreciate this, but, you know, we, we love myth. Yeah. And archetypes come from that. And there's, you know, nothing wrong. And again, it goes back to uh, a shorthand that allows you to establish the environment quickly in a limited amount of space. Right. And then move on with your story. You know, if you establish an archetype, even though you you deviate wildly from that and make it unique, mm-hmm. you still have that foundation that people go, okay, I, I have an idea of who this person is. And, sure. then you, and then you can also flip the, flip the script and take them somewhere else Absolutely. playing against that archetype. Right. So it serves two purposes. It, it's sure. a shorthand storytelling wise. And it's also an opportunity to, uh, you know, throw in a plot twist. Makes sense. You know, and the other, the other thing I was thinking is if this was a serialized uh, story, then it would be character based. It would be also plot based, but to, to draw us, cause I'm thinking of like, you know, Spider-Man mm-hmm. um, or Superman uh, where it, it is completely character based. Right, that's ongoing serialized. My exactly. ne- I, I never had an intent of this being an ongoing right. series. I always had because you literally built the frame it. first. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, okay. So my last question for you, and this is this is the softballest of softballs. Uh, okay. How how did you fund this to begin with? Um, I spent a whole lot of my own money over years. Okay. And that, that brings me around to something that is in the Kickstarter video that I'll mention here is um, I want to make it clear to everyone that everyone that worked on this book got paid for what they did. That's awesome. Because I don't believe that people should work for free for me to realize my dreams. And so, you know, I didn't get anything. I'm hoping to get back what I put into it, you know, mm-hmm. or, but also anything that I get back after the expenses of printing the books and shipping the books and all that it's not going to go back into my pocket or anything that's going to go towards hopefully doing a sequel to the book and telling more of this story, you that's know, cool. because um, I'm not going to say that I'm going to let people read the book. I almost said something that I didn't want to say. Sure. <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, so, so yeah, this has been something that I, you know, scrimped and saved and, and tightened the belt and all that, because for me, long-term it meant more for me for this to exist and to have the extra money that makes sense that's that's powerful you know when i die do i want to have a few extra you know a few thousand dollars extra or do i want this to be in the world and i want this to be in the world that i like that yeah because that starts it it actually is is quite romantic and and nice and and also it's there's a there's an amount of pride that you know it was not a small undertaking and i followed through you know i didn't stop Mm -hmm. part way through you know, it's done and it's accomplished and there's a certain personal satisfaction to that. Sure. Definitely. Absolutely. So, and, and yeah, I, 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 I know what you were about to say and I think it's probably wise to like let people find the hello kitty crossover. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. So, oh, shit, sorry. I mean the totally uh, not hentai hello kitty crossover. Right. Um, there are no tentacles in my book. None. Yeah. None. <laughs> So there's the darlings that got uh, left out. Yeah, th- uh, that's what I had to go. Yes. Yeah. 
So on your next interview, if people ask, oh, what'd you leave out? Well, yeah, tentacles. Yep, tentacles. A lot of tentacles. A lot and, of tentacle uh, porn got cut out of the book. Yeah. <laughs> just easier to draw them on horses, really. Right. Just, yeah, just... Know, four legs, not eight. It's fine. It's better. It's better. Yeah. So that's why that's why Thor's horse was never in because it had too many damn legs. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. You know, in, in the Avengers. So, but it is also why he was always very warm. So, because they always slept near his horse. <sighs> and it's Odin's horse. Oh, God damn it. I was, I was learning my myth from a different valley. But... <laughs> all right. So uh, tell us again about the Kickstarter, all the details you want to throw in there. I want to make sure we end with that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that both Ed and I are going to recommend people read The Republic. Um, yes. Okay. Definitely. So now we've, we've covered what you're reading. We always recommend something for people. Um, and, and, you know, you can actually, I'll do this part first. You can find me at Duh Harmony on Insta and, uh, and, and Twitter. Um, Ed, where can they find you? Uh, I can be found at Mr. Blaylock on uh, Twitter and, uh, they're actually, I'm sorry, on Twitter, I'm EH Blaylock. I can be found at Mr. Blaylock on TikTok and on, uh, the other one. Insta, uh, Insta, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also uh, just to clarify, on TikTok, I'm Mister Underscore Playlock. So if you're looking someone, for me, that's, someone got that's a little taste it. of of uh, social media cocaine. Well, uh, it's, it's sort of, but yeah, it's a I long see you rubbing but, your gums. It's okay. Yeah, I, you're, yeah. what are you talking right. about? Corporately, you can find us where uh, at uh, Geek History Time. Cool. Uh, so uh, Tim. Tell us where we can find you, this project, your Kickstarter. We're literally going to let you have the floor until we run, uh, until until we're done, and then we'll say goodbye. So fantastic. Well, first off, thank yeah. you so much for letting me come on here and hang out with you guys. I Hell enjoyed yeah. it, and hope I can come back again, and and we can be even more uh, random in our in our path of conversation. <laughs> um, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tim B Watts W A T T S. Um, on Instagram at tbw753, a number that Damien would recognize. And come on, man, 753. 753. BCE. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wake <laughs> up. Uh, sorry. So, um, so that's uh, Twitter and Instagram. For the Kickstarter, you can go to therepublicnovel.com. Uh, before March 1st, that will take you to the pre-launch page where you can put your email in and get notified when the campaign goes live. If you're listening to this after March 1st and before March 21st, the campaign is currently live. So if you go there, it will take you to the campaign page. You can um, see my pitch video where I talk about uh, the project. Oh, and we forgot a little tidbit. I was letting you do that at, at your leisure. I had the um, pleasure of getting an endorsement video from uh, a gentleman people may know as director Kevin Smith. So I. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Ed has I, entered the conversation. Talk about, talk about burying the lead. Well, I, was, I was so like... engrossed with our conversation. I, I had forgotten, but yeah, I met him at, uh, when he came to town with his last movie, uh, James Silent Bob reboot. And I showed him a copy of the first chapter of the book and Honestly, my motivation was nothing more than to say, you know, you always tell people to make something if you want to make something. And I wanted to say thanks for the motivation. 
And he looked at me and said, how can I help? And that was not my intent at all. Um, And we went back and forth. And so if you look at the Kickstarter video, there's a short little video from Kevin Smith encouraging people to uh, back the Kickstarter. So I almost got out of this with forgetting that I'm a bad promoter. Oh, I would have, I would have asked you, uh, but I, I, I genuinely thought you were going to leave that as a surprise. So I was just like, okay. Oh no, no. I want to, yeah. I want everybody to know if, if yeah. you know, if you know, Kevin Smith, come take a look at the Kickstarter. Oh no, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit on that gem. <laughs> <laughs> nice. um, so also uh, something else that you'll find on the, the Kickstarter page that we're working on is a trailer for the book that I'm very proud of. A lot of comic book Kickstarters will do something they call a trailer and it is in, not to knock anybody, but it's kind of just a collage of images from the book. We, I got uh, a friend of mine who is an editor or used to be an editor for a news station. We got together and we actually cut together a trailer like a film trailer that tells a story. We have a music bed, we have sound effects, we have um, some people that recorded audio, uh, you know, lines of dialogue, and it tells a story like a film trailer would. And it's almost done and I'm very pleased with it. So that's there's awesome. some cool things to find out when you go check out the the uh, Kickstarter page. Okay, cool. So again, if they get to this before, if they basically get off of this uh, podcast and they want to get to it on February 25th, they go to, what's the website again? TheRepublicNovel.com. There you go. But if they decide to wait until the first, they put the alert in their phone on the first, they go to Kickstarter and just type in the Republic Novel. Well, you can go to the TheRepublicNovel.com either way. Okay. Before March 1st, that page will redirect to the pre-launch. Mm. And then after March 1st, it will redirect to the actual Kickstarter page. Lovely. So you can go to the republicnovel.com, whether it's before or after the 1st of March. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, for A Geek History of Time, I'm very excited. Uh, and uh, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.